1: Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Townsend Show and to our new listeners. Thank you for joining our show. Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He is a scholar, columnist, essayist, and political commentator and an unwitting provocateur of the left. So you've joined the right show if you want to hear a little bit about news issues in particular and an analysis of whether left or right of the current issues of the day. And we're going to start off with poor old Elon Musk today and his. Wait, 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 Sammy. I'm
2: I'm not a provocateur. I'm a reason sober and judicious. Observer of the news provocateurs are people that pro Woco in Latin. They call out people. I guess you're saying (laughs) you're saying that I call out people. Yeah, I said it
1: was unwitting and that the left okay. probably feels called out by okay. you. Okay. I'm making things up here, just so you know.
2: <laughs> OK. All right. OK. Let's...
1: But criticism, well taken. We'll try to find something else. But we will be talking about Elon Musk's big X and the city of San Francisco is being taken down. So stay with us and we'll be right back.
3: Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com And use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, in unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.
1: Welcome back to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, I thought we'd start with something somewhat light. I mean, uh, perhaps for Elon, it's not completely light, but he San Francisco has decided that instead of the problems on their streets, that they need to take down Elon Musk's big X because it has permit violations. And I was wondering if you had any commentary on that city's decision.
2: Yeah, I mean, does anybody believe that if Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, the former owner, put something up and they would take it down? No. And this is very ironic because the mayor of London Breed is talking about the so-called doom loop of her city. And she said the other day that if I could eliminate, and I think I mentioned this, with Jack, if I could eliminate business taxes, I would do so. Meaning I can't because I need the revenue, but by taxing them so high and allowing criminals to rule the streets, they've all left. And so after saying that, that's just verbiage because what does she do? She then goes out and attacks uh, the most... I mean, it's his building, right? They yes. Attack the most visible person in the business community in San Francisco. And that just sends another message. And it's ideological. And I mean, you can't put something... It's like Donald Trump with his flag they went after. They go after... You know, they don't go after other people. You could do this all day long. You could go to Silicon Valley and you could go to the Google headquarters or the new Apple headquarters, or you could go... To Facebook, and you could find a building violation or something that happened that did not get a permit. But they wouldn't do that because if they did, the Apple people or the Google people would call up the county or the city and say, "Listen, we we employ X number of people." Da 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 da, da Don't do that. And they wouldn't even have to make the call because it would never occur because they're all on the same ideological playing field. Just yeah, continue harassment. On the yeah. part of the city. And it's so silly because the last thing they need is to drive out Twitter. They've driven out almost everybody else. It's, you know, it's it's been neutron bombed. I mean, the infrastructure is still there, but the people are in hiding in their in their secure homes in places like Pacific Heights or you know, a Knob Hill, etc., Presidio Heights. They're just, our daily city. They're just hiding, and when they come into the city, it's they don't look both ways. It's to get in, get out, go home. And most of them are not coming in the city, and tourism are staying away in droves. It's very sad. I, I I don't like saying this because I have such good memories for most. I'm 69, and for until three years ago, going to downtown San Francisco was a fun thing to do. There was a lot of people there, baseball games, Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, You would walk at six or seven o'clock at night and it was vibrant. It was safe. There were restaurants everywhere. People were happy. I used to speak for National Review in San Francisco and I can remember walking a half a mile from my hotel to the event. Let's say it's seven o'clock. The event would be over at ten thirty. I would walk by myself back to the hotel. Ten thirty to eleven, no problem. And then, you know what I mean? They made a desert out of it. They just destroyed. Mm-hmm. It. They destroyed it. It was all willingly done. And you know, this whole post George Floyd phenomenon. There's a good article and one of my favorite websites, Powerline, and they talk about the crime rate in Minneapolis where the whole defunding movement followed the death of George Floyd. And they have some pretty startling statistics that every narrative that the left promulgated to enact this woke policy that followed was a lie. For for example, they point out that in Minneapolis, 12% of the population, or I should say in Minnesota, 12% of the population, black males commit the vast majority of crimes. And they commit crimes, violent crimes, at 10 times their white counterparts. Even though they're about one-fifth of the population, they account for the majority of violent crimes and 10 times more so than their demographic, that is the majority population. And so it's just absurd. And the further studies that is quoted, it's, it's uh, a study done by the many apples based American experiment. When you look at sentencing sentencing for black and white criminals who have been convicted, the data shows that white criminals are sentenced to a much higher degree of punishment than our black criminals, and that it's obvious why, because they feel that if they were to sentence a black criminal, some reporter or DA or assistant, somebody would complain or call them racist. And so, we live in a world of fantasy and mythology. It really, it is. I mean, yeah, it's... It's just amazing that what the reality is on the street and what the policies are and what the official narratives are. It's just a joke. It really is.
1: Yeah, that fantasy and mythology is destroying our society. That's the problem with it. I mean, people are under the fantasy, and as long as they're wealthy enough and far enough away from places like San Francisco, no big deal because the fantasy is so alluring. Yeah, but well, it's really...
2: It's not even alluring anymore. It's there's since we're on the topic of San Francisco in today uh, today's news. There's also an, yet another story about Safeway, and I think there's 19 Safeways in the Bay Area, and 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 two of them are closed, and more of them. They this Safeway has tried to install a translucent uh, unbreakable glass doors, uh, folding doors. When you go, you know, when you go into the checking part, you can't get out unless you go check out, but it's yeah. proved a complete failure because it's like jumping the turnstiles. What good does it have with this turnstile mm-hmm. in a New York subway station when kids just jump over it and nobody does anything. Same yeah. thing. What was, what's the, there's no deterrence. The deterrence is always human. There is some mm-hmm. deterrence by walls or, or turnstiles or something, but it doesn't matter if there's nobody manning the ramparts, right? Yeah. And so there is no, and it, the article suggested 100 thefts a day at a, saf, a Safeway, and it's not food. That's what was so big, bizarre about the story. It was alcohol, and it was hard goods, perfumes, razor blades, things that can be taken out unopened and easily sold on the black market not food like apples or grapes or oatmeal or something they can eat yeah. and so it's just a fantasy that we're, we're talking about and we're going to drive and then you know what we're going to hear we're going to drive all the Safeways like we drove whole Whole Foods out and then we're going to hear a community activist say this is so racist there are Safeway in the suburbs of down there in atherton or hillsborough but there's none in san francisco Yeah, (laughs) Whose Yeah. whose fault is that and so until the community and oakland is starting in the right across the bay you start to see this protest of middle class asians whites and blacks and latinos and they're marching on city council and they're saying this is unsustainable, and it was kind of funny, as I mentioned, when they had a clip from the district attorney, and she started into her you know race class, oh, I'm a victim saga to explain why she doesn't prosecute criminals, and I got a second and third chance da, 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 da. and they just kind of shouted her down and that doesn't work anymore i I think we're right at the cusp of a revolution. Everybody is so sick of this. They're so sick of being ecumenical. They don't judge people by race, but they're sick of this idea that your race is preeminent and it contextualizes or explains how the law applies to you, whether it's down on the border. Believe me. If we had 7 million Eastern Europeans that had flown over here from Poland and the Czech Republic, and they were trying to get across the Mexican border, Joe Biden would have a wall in two seconds. He'd even have a wall if they were all from Cuba. And so it's it's all ideological, and people are getting sick of it. And they don't like to be called transphobic or homophobic or sexist by people who themselves are deeply prejudiced and biased. I don't don't know where we hit uh, peak woke. I've said in the past we have, but I think we're getting close to the beginning of peak, the uptick on peak reaction to all of this. And I think a lot of people are saying, you know what? You've made life miserable anyway for people, so I don't care anymore. So I'll say and do what I want according to the truth as I see the truth. And you can call me anything in the want. I don't care. I know I've, I've reached that point. Yeah. And, and I don't care anymore about what yeah. people say because I feel that the entire Republican American project's in danger. And I don't mean in danger of crazy ideas in the long term. I'm talking about... Insane practices and protocols in the short term, such as near misses in airlines or inability to walk in a major American city after dark in safety or finding a Chinese biolab 12 miles from my home. And these things are existential and nobody cares. And so if nobody cares, then why don't you speak out to save your civilization? Don't worry about the people who are destroying it, who are going to attack you. That's what everybody listening should think of. They created re- a de- desert and you've got to save it and irrigate it and bring it back to you know fruition and then let them worry about it. They're the ones yeah. that should be apologizing.
1: You're reminding me of the um, recently they had some town hall in New York and the um, neighborhood was a black neighborhood, and so all these black protesters got up and spoke about how they can't believe all these immigrants are being left in their. It's you know their towns are their part of the towns, their burbs are are full of crime, prostitution, etc. And I was watching. I was thinking, but you voted these people in, so I don't know. I think what the biggest myth. Yeah,
2: you know what the biggest myth in New York is that. Liberals and some conservatives say, Oh, well, Eric Adams is not that bad. He's a good, he's a horrible mayor. The fact that he's better than that incomplete Bill de Blasio means nothing. He was the one. Do you remember about a month ago? He had a big photo op where he. Met the buses when they they bust in illegal yes. aliens and he shook their hands and given, you know, a little packies or something. And now he's upset and he says it's the media is treating him unfairly. The key to remembering about him. I didn't know anything about him. I was, but I, I was under the impression that anybody other than Bill de Blasio was an improvement. And then they started to play clips when he was running as the law and order. And one of the things he said as a police high ranking officer is I take on the crackers. Remember that? Yeah. I can take, and I thought, wow, you're going to be the mayor of a multiracial city and you just used a pejorative for people on the basis of their race. Do you think if a white candidate had said, I'm the guy who's going to take on the blank blank, they would ever elect him? No, then they shouldn't elect him. But I guess this asymmetry, that's a good word for everything that's happened under this leftist project, whether it's the asymmetrical treatment of Biden for the same things that they're that Trump is accused of and he gets a pass. Trump doesn't. Or it's people because of their race or gender or sexual orientation say and do things that there's no consequence to. Instead, we hear white privilege, white privilege in this context. There's a good um, poll that just came out from Gallup, and it kind of reflects that Reagan uh, library poll of last year about confidence in the military. It's gone from 87% to to 60, and that 60% is only because conservatives uh, still are up in the high 60s, but independents are in the 50s. Now, why would that be? Why would people who look at our senior officers, a Mark Milley, or a defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, or the putative new chairman of the Joint Chiefs, why would they have no confidence? And why would they have no confidence when they look at the recent record of the U.S. military? Could it be just possibly they watched in horror on the screens as 13 Marines were blown up in Afghanistan, where the entire project collapsed, where people fled, uh, and they into this insecure Airport leaving longtime Afghan contractors, friends, helpers, supporters of the U.S. as well as Americans. When we had a secure, fortified Bagram Air Force Base, we just gave up. We gave up everything. I don't even, I don't know if we took the pride flags from the embassy down or the. Who, who did somebody get the keys from the gender studies program at the University of Kabul, or did they? I don't know what they did with the george floyd murals but it was humiliating and then when you look at this constant white privilege white privilege white privilege white rage white rage white supremacy from our highest officers trying to exploit the disruption hysteria confusion following george floyd for their own particular advance and then you look at their careers so mr austin goes in and he sits there in front of the congress And then he demagogues and says, I'm going to find out about white rage. And they talk about Professor Kendi's pseudo book. And you think, wait a minute, this doesn't work, Mr. Austin. You were a high-ranking officer. You retired. You went to Raytheon. You made a fortune. And then you got an exemption. You went right back to defense secretary. And you mouth all of this left, 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 left stuff. And when you get out of defense secretary, where do you think you're going to go? You're going to go right back to Raytheon and they're going to pay you enormous amount of money because of the contacts you develop and had developed in the Pentagon. So don't tell us that you are a progressive uh, warrior on the front lines of social justice. And that's what's so infuriating about these people in the Pentagon. If they want to be woke. And they want to fly people out of red states in the military to get abortions. And they want to pay for transgendered surgeries. Okay, you are revolutionaries. You're on the forefront of social change. We get that. You're making a Napoleonic People's Army or maybe some type of commissariat. But then don't go back to the corporate capitalist, profit-driven, supposedly greedy corporate world and cash in. That's not what leftists do. Unless you're Bernie Sanders and own three homes. So, or or John Kerry that married a billionaire and fly around a Gulf Stream so you can more efficiently berate others for their carbon use. But that's what I think that's what gets people really angry about all this. This, we don't take it seriously anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of all of that white supremacy accusations, etc. There was a Toronto school principal who committed suicide after he was harassed by a presenter from a diversity and inclusion consultancy. And I want to just tell you that he was a big supporter of DEI and in fact brought this consultancy in. But this presenter had the temerity to state that Canada was worse than the US in its race relations with Black. And he disagreed with that. And she went off on him and she said, you and your whiteness think that you can tell me what's really going on for black people. That's one thing. And then she started to talk about him as a real life example of resistance in support of white supremacy. And he brought a court case against her. And right this summer, he committed suicide. And um, it's an incredible case, and it just has so many features of the problem with DEI.
2: I was wondering. Oh, absolutely. What... Well, I mean, we had right here in California, right near the Stanford campus at De Anza Community College, we had a DEI official who was black and female. And she wanted to be reach out, and she interpreted diversity, equity, and inclusion literally That meant her white students, her Asian students, her black students. So she was trying to implement uh, programs that brought people together rather than to focus on, you know, in a bilateral fashion, the victims and the victimizers. And you know what? They fired her, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, they fired her. She's suing them. And so I think the universities are going to understand that if they get a Republican president, you should read Desantis's uh, blueprint. It's out now. It's on the online about the higher education. That and if the Republicans take the Senate, there's going to be a big shakeup. They're going to look at seriously taxing the endowments, look at seriously getting the government out of student loans and letting the universities back the student loans themselves, seriously looking how federal funds are used, seriously looking at the presence of Confucius centers on campuses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they're going to get a lot of public support. And I don't think the universities have any idea that you cannot continually raise your tuition room and board above the rate of inflation while you're hiring thousands of dei administrators who produce nothing they don't produce anything they just harass faculty and students and say well you didn't have this inclusionary statement on your hiring committee you didn't do this it's very very illiberal you know i grew up In the night when I was a little boy in the 1950s and everybody, one of the first things I read six or seven, I would go look at the McClatchy papers. I would run out to the driveway on the farm and there they were with a rubber band and the afternoon paper. It came at two o'clock. I got home from school about two thirty. I was seven or eight on the bus. And Mm. as soon as I stepped off the real bus, I ran to the driveway. My mom wasn't home. My dad wasn't home. We were my grandparents would come up and and be with us. And I would open the Fresno B and I there was almost every story I remember. I didn't know who McCarthy was. It was about McCarthyism, McCarthyism. McCarthy, this is 58, 59, 60, McCarthyism, loyalty oaths. And it was all about a case of a courageous leftist who said, do whatever you want to me, but I'm not going to sign a loyalty oath. Now, look what we're talking about. We're talking about loyalty oath to the United States of America in the Cold War right after the Alger Hiss and all of this problem. We're not talking about diversity equity. But if you look at the diversity equity inclusion oaths that they they ask for students and faculty, but especially new applicants for jobs, it's just like the McCarthy period. If you're applying for a professorship, say, at UC Berkeley or UC Irvine, and you say, hmm, this requires me to state in writing my commitment to DEI. I don't think that I should do that. And I and you write, I am committed to diversity, equity and inclusion of thought. And I want a diverse student body and diverse faculty intellectually and ideologically. But I'm really working to make race incidental, not essential. That person has zero chance of ever being hired. And the same thing if a faculty member says, I don't want to talk to you about my syllabus, I don't need to explain to you how I emphasize DEI in my syllabus. The syllabus is based on academic integrity, not commissariats. He would be in trouble. And so I think people are going to get tired of that. It's it's an expense that we, the taxpayer, play pay by subsidizing these universities. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. If they had to pay the real cost without any student loans for their subsidized students. And Bill Smith says, I want to go to Stanford. I want to go to Cal State Fullerton. I got my $50,000 in loans and they backed it. And then he said, oh, I'm going to take three units here. This semester, hmm, I think I'm going to change my major from environmental studies to community studies, to black studies, to leisure studies. And I'm going to graduate. My plan is to graduate in seven or eight years in my mid-20s, and I'll have about $100,000 loan, and I kind of won't pay it back. What do you think Cal State, Fullerton, or Berkeley, or Stanford would say, or Pepper, any of these universities, what would they say? If thousands of people do that, like they're doing that with federal loan, they would say, you know what? We're not going to give you the loan or we're going to get you out of here in four years. And we're going to make sure we have a major that allows you to be a productive taxpayer to pay us the money you owe us with interest. And that's the problem. Moral hazard.
1: Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break here and come back and talk a little bit about the border. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Welcome back. Um, before we talk about the border, Victor, I'd like to remind your listeners that you can be found on social media, on Twitter at VD Hansen and on Facebook at Hansen's Morning Cup. And there's also the Victor Davis Hansen fan club and their. Experts at um, bringing back old things that you've done and all the new things as well. So that's a really great site. It's unassociated with us, but it's a. I we highly recommend it to everybody. Um, So on the border, Victor, there's they've been talking about all the deaths, of course, in the summertime as the waters get higher, uh, lots of deaths. But coming, I was surprised to listen on Epic Times um, to a presentation on the border about the Caribbean and they say that deaths are up. It sounded like by half, I mean, by a hundred percent to 349 this year of Car- Caribbean uh, illegal immigrants. And I thought that was curious, but also Kamala Harris has made a statement that um, busing migrants to DC was playing politics with people's lives. And I thought she seemed a little blind to the policies of her own administration, who's been busing things everywhere. So that was a strange critique. And then also that Governor Um, Abbott in Texas has put a floating fence up. And I was wondering if you had any comments on the efficacy of that. So those are three different things on the border immigration. I was wondering if you could talk on any one of them.
2: Well, people should start to frame this conversation with the idea that the way that the U.S. works and again, what Western society in general works was something like this the mainstream principles were on question sovereignty, secure borders, private property, free market economics, constitutional government, rationalism, free speech, open dissent, etc. And that was a pretty traditional conservative basket of be- beliefs and protocols. And then you had the left, and they were going nah, 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 on the sidelines. And you didn't really give them very much power. Every once in a while, you had a catastrophe like the Great Depression, and you brought in a socialist like FDR. Okay. Or every once in a while, you had a meltdown like the economy imploded in 2008 on the heels of an unpopular war, and you got Barack Obama. But more or less, this was the mainstream. And the role of the left was every once in a while to say to the traditional successful paradigm, we should have an inheritance tax. These guys are just, they won the game and there's too few of them and they have too much money. And that was the trust busting of the 19th century. Or every once in a while, they would come in and say, hey, you guys, when you get 65, some guys didn't make it, let's get social security. But then that's what the role they're playing. But most of the times you would never turn power over to them because they were socialists essentially. They would ruin the economy. They would have collective property. They had utopian ideas that didn't reflect the realities of human nature. Okay. Well, now we're in one of those rare situations because of COVID, because of George Floyd, because of the changing and voting patterns in 2020 from 70% election day voting to 30% because of Joe Biden's uh, basement campaign, I won't get into irregularities and balloting and the singular case of Donald Trump. OK. And they're in there and we are living in a full fledged socialist communist experiment of people who do not believe in a border. They do not believe in it. They feel it's discriminatory or they're citizens of the world or more. Likely, they look at the impoverished of Latin America as future constituents for their own crazy agenda. But more importantly, present here and now, subscribers or constituents for their big government entitlement program. And so they opened the border and they said, come on in. Literally, Joe Biden said that in 2000. 19 during the early phases of the campaign. And Mr. Mayorkas allows it to happen. And so is Kamala Harris. And what happens then? You have get all of the poor from southern Mexico, a lot of them indigenous people, Latin America, the Caribbean, and they swarm up here. And they get to the and they do not know how to swim. They don't. They get snake bit. They get they drown. And they all are on the hands of the Biden administration that invited them de facto up here they could stop it tomorrow all they have to do is what donald trump finally did with the president of mexico you put your troops there you get you patrol your southern border or the following is going to happen to you on trade and then quietly, we're going to tax remittances, maybe 10% of the $60 billion your citizens drain out of our economy, that whom we support with entitlements to free up three or 400 bucks a month that send down to you. We're going to take 10%. That's $6 billion. You know what we're going to do with the $6 billion? We're going to really build the wall from the Gulf all the way to the Pacific. That's what we're going to do. We have to. And. It would stop, but they do not want to do that. They want open borders and they don't care about the people who are dying. So these poor people who are desperate feel that if they get to the United States, it's home free and they're swimming. They don't know how to swim. And the Biden administration didn't care because if they cared, Kamala Harris would be down the border and said, this is a human Tragedy. Look at these cages that we used to accuse Donald Trump of using that Obama built. They're being used again. It's not. Look at the people sitting on the streets of El Paso. Look at the. It's a. It's a human nightmare, and we created it. And we're going to stop it. And we're going to suggest that people go back where they'll be better off. Unless you believe that there's also a theory. I had a reader, a very bright guy, who wrote me, and I mentioned it before. He believes in that the theory is homostasis. That the whole point is that if you let 7 million people in all at once and you can't handle them and they don't speak English and they don't have skills and they don't have a high school diploma and they don't have capital, then they're going to recreate the conditions from which they left left here. And after a while, they're going to overwhelm that long border corridor. And at some point. Living in El Paso will not be. Any different than living in Oaxaca. And at that point maybe it'll stop because there'll be no difference from the southern United States and Mexico. And yeah. maybe that's the idea. but it, and then we have Governor Abbott and he's got he's on the the brunt. He, he's on the front end of this so he wants to stop people from drowning. So he puts a barrier in the river. It's floatable. I guess people, it makes it hard to get across, but maybe they can hang on to it rather than die. And all of a sudden, the Biden administration is what? Opposing that. This is a federal matter. This is a federal matter. State has no authority over the US border. Uh, Okay. But how come all these states, 550 jurisdictions, County, city, states are sanctuary cities. I thought that federal immigration law trumped individual state policies, but it does sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. So when you want to tell Texas you can't enforce your own border with Mexico because it's actually a federal border, okay, then why don't they go to San Francisco and say, or Portland and say, you know what? If you have an illegal alien that is arrested and he's in violation of federal immigration law, then ICE is going to the local jail and pick him up and deport him. And you cannot any longer offer him sanctuary unless you want to lose federal funds. We don't do that. Yeah. But that's what's so weird about the left. They just make it up as they go along because they're they're morally superior. Oh, mm-hmm. so, there's no principle. You know, there's no principle. But by that, I mean... If you take any issue, um, electoral college blue wall wonderful electoral blue wall collapses. Electoral college horrible. Warren Court, William O. Douglas to Bruce Souter, wonderful court, great system, nine judges makes the laws that the legislators should have made. Get in six conservative justices should be packed. Right wing, illegal, don't listen to the to the decisions. And that's how they operate on every one of these issues. Yeah. And, and if right now we, they found out that showing an ID meant that it helped the Democrats, they would it would be every every state has to have an ID law. It doesn't there's no principle there other than the, the equity principle that we're gonna do anything anywhere, anytime among anybody. To ensure that we all end up on the backside, regardless of fate or tragedy or accidents or talent or industriousness, it doesn't matter. We're all going to end up equal. Yeah.
1: Well, since we're. Yeah, I talked about Kamala Harris and her statement. I would like to turn to Kamala as the VP. We have an article out um, in Politico that she's better than you think, is what it says, and that she has all sorts of obligations. So the whole article wants to point out her obligations as party liaison, representative of women and people of color, and then her executive role. And we know the various things she's gone out, especially when she had the border as part of her executive role. I don't know what happened to that, but she doesn't seem to be talking about it anymore. But it concludes on her um, role as vice president, they say, a murky official, that that it is a murky official role uh, with her personal political projects subsumed by the administration's goals and no guarantee, and this is the one I like, no guarantee that loyalty to those goals will be rewarded with status or political clout and i was wondering if you had thoughts on this it's better than you think kamala harris statement
2: they know it's not true that's my thought and what and what do i mean i read the article and i failed to see one thing that she did on the border she said she was going to go fly down to what latin america Central America and she was going to talk about the economic conditions and therefore she was going to address the problem at its root causes. She never, she made one photo op. Did it make any difference? Remember, she was going to talk about space with young children. And (laughs) then we found out she hired a bunch of actors. And I mean, she has the on Midas touch, everything she touches. She's the female incarnation of Pete Buttigieg. Only Mm -hmm. she can't talk as well as that you know, rhetorician can. But there's nothing there. So then the question is, well, why would they write it? Write such a lie and such a lie at this particular time. And you know why it is, because plan A doesn't seem to be working. Plan A was going to have Joe Biden be in the basement for most of his presidency and then be reelected and keep outsourcing it to the Obamas and Bernie Sanders wing and the squad and Elizabeth Warren to run the country, but he can't even do that. They can't let him out. He can't even do a photo op because he'll fall flat on his face, or he'll start turkey gobbling some girl's cheek, or he'll say that, <laughs> or he'll say that you know we're fighting the Iraq War and next to Kiev or something. So they went to Plan B, and Plan B is he's not going to run for re-election. And, you know, and that's plan B. So they're going to say, oh, yes, Joe, Joe, uh, we've seen Joe in the West Wing. It's really disturbing. He bumps into walls. He forgets our names. He gets into these get off my grass rages. But don't quote me. And that's happening. And that is designed to tell everybody that he's not able to run for re-election, but he's not yet at the 25th Amendment stage, which they'd never vote because he'd lose power. So that was plan B. And now we're to plan C. And it's, oh, my God. It's not just that he can't finish. He can't run for re-election, which is OK. We can get Gavin in. But the guy, I don't know if he can finish his first term. He's declining at such a rate that he, he's capable of anything. So we might have to have Kamala for the last six months of his term. And everybody said, well, we can't have Kamala. These word salads and this jumbo mush that she to all this stuff. It's an embarrassment. And she has a horrible record. Well, then call up the Washington Post and you get those guys at the New York Times. Get a big piece of New Yorker. See if you can get on CNN. And we have a new narrative that she's underappreciated, that there's insidious gender and race discrimination that actually when really when you look in detail seriously at her record at the border border crossings have gone down and when you look at her advocacy for marginalized people to get onto the space pro, pro- it's really working and that's what they're doing because they're prepping the battlefield that she might have to step in and finish this term then Then they'll be into plan D, and that is, if she has to do that, how do you get rid of her? You know, because you can't have President Kamala Harris incumbent being challenged by white male incompetent uh, Gavin Newsom. But this all gets down to one point, and you brought up Kamala Harris. I wrote an article about it for American Greatness this week. Just imagine, Sammy, if Kamala Harris was not vice president right now. Let's say the following. Joe Biden is president right now, and Gavin Newsom is his vice president. Do you think that he'd still be in office? I don't. I think they would be leaking everything to get a, a hard left young Gavin Newsom. doesn't matter to them that he destroyed California. They don't care, but they see him as vibrant, Kennedy-esque, but without being Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And they would do anything. So a lot of this whole confusion is predicated on Joe Biden saying that he was going to pick in demagogic fashion and in racist fashion, a black woman. He picked her. He thought that she was the most competent of the possible candidates. She turned out to be a bust. And they thought at first that was a good idea because you wouldn't impeach him or he couldn't step down because you would get this modern incarnation of Spiro Agnew. By the way, Spiro Agnew, Spiro Agnew, I should say, when you read, William Sapphire wrote some of his speeches. And you look at those speeches today, they were funny. And they were. And he, was, he read them off a teleprompter pretty well. So it's not fair to say that Kamala Harris is a Spiro Agnew. He had more talent. He was corrupt. Yeah. But my point is that if she was not president right now, Joe Biden would be gone. I'm convinced of that. And Gavin Newsom would be president if he was vice president. So her presence explains a lot. It explains Carry him over the first term finish line. Don't let him run again, because if he runs again, not only is he non-compos mentes, he might not finish. He will not finish out a second term, but you cannot get rid of incumbent black woman on the ticket and if you run again you are guaranteeing that she will be the president of the united states and if you try to get rid of her it's racist and you'll lose the black vote And if you lose the black vote you won't get election elected anyway and so that that unique selection of her and her utter incompetence explains almost everything about this administration it really does
1: it does you know what that
2: There's only one. Yeah, there's only one solution. There's only one solution. Pump him up with Adderall. Put a lid on his day at one o'clock in the afternoon. Don't let him have to do anything. Have him crawl across the finish line. Open up the primary. Have, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg and Newsom and Kobush, all these people run. Newsom will win and they'll say, we wanted you, ha- we wanted Camella you, but you know, it was an open primary. It's not racist. Anybody can vote for anyone. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what they're looking at.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in the beginning of the article, he has a statistic, and I believe it's from ABC News poll. He says, according to recent polls, only 13 percent of Democrats would want to see her run in her Kamala in 2024 if Biden were unable to run. That's You know, if the point of his article is to revive her, then he's just set up in the very beginning, you got an insurmountable task of trying to. Well, you know what? The,
2: the thing about her was everybody was giving her an open. I mean, we're in California knew about her. Everybody was she was an open book. I mean, everybody clean slate. Let her be vice president. If that's what it wants. Ecumenical goodwill. Everybody's after George Floyd. Let's try to do what we can to heal the racial wounds. A black woman, first black woman, first woman vice president. This is a good thing. Yeah. And well, we'll we, we, I don't want to know about her background. I don't want to know that she her whole, she was a creation of Willie Brown. And he took a young woman, half black, half Indian woman, who was very well, uh, middle class. One father was a Stanford professor, a mother, a cancer PhD researcher. And that was his paramour, and he put her on all these high-paying, do-nothing boards, and she had a viable lifestyle and income, and he could show her off as a trophy girlfriend to everybody in San Francisco, and he had her run for city attorney. He got the Getty, all those old San Francisco families, they got her elected, and then they You know, they checked her out. They wanted to see who she was, who she was. And she wasn't some radical from Oakland. She was going to, you know, prosecute marijuana cases, go after the black kids in in Hunter's Point who were truant. And she was the city and county attorney. And then she was all set up for the Senate. And everybody knew that. But now, now. Since she's been so mediocre, people are going back and it's a force multiplier of her failure. They're saying, wait a minute, I didn't know anything about this person. You didn't tell me that she had no record of accomplishment other than being Willie Brown's girlfriend. You didn't tell me she grew up not as that poor little girl who accused Joe Biden of being a racist busser uh, against busing, but a kind of a middle-class kid with two PhD parents, which constitutes 1% of the American families have both parents with a PhD gainfully employed. You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that she's never really done anything in her life on her own. You didn't tell me that even her father said, got kind of tired of her and said, that, hey, don't talk about slavery. We have people who own slaves in our family in the Caribbean. And so now they're looking back at her record and they're trying to explain how she's so inept. And now it's no surprise. It would be a surprise if she was, you know, Churchill or something, but there's no evidence that she ever was anything other than what she was. And there's no, if you ask people in the United States, why is Kamala Harris Why is Kamala Harris the vice president of the United States? They will answer two things because she's black and she's female. And because of the 120 days of writing in May, uh, June, July, August uh, in 2020, 2020. in 2020, you take away that Joe Biden would have never pandered the way he did. And it was an election year, remember. So he was pandering in that hysteria and then uh the fact that she was black and female otherwise she would just be somebody she'd be like diane feinstein where they're telling her how to vote yes or no and that's what she was only i don't i don't know i guess her only i know it's kind of funny is that each person has an has a crutch so hunter know he can lose his gun or his laptop or his crack pipe or he may or may not be involved in the cocaine or he can do that and people can always say but he's an addict victor he's an addict it's not his fault drug addiction is not free choice it's a medical problem it's a biological problem just certain people have an immune system or hormonal system or their genetics that makes them, unfortunately, vulnerable. So maybe you or him or Jean, Jane or Bill might try a marijuana cigarette or a little snort, and it would do nothing but Hunter, given his his propensities that he had no control over, he became an addict. So all these things are excusable. Yes, I know that his, his brother died. Tragically, of a brain tumor, and his wife was in mourning. Then Hunter moved from his first wife over to the grieving widow, sister-in-law. We understand that. We understand all the things he did with hookers and prostitutes and strippers. We understand that, but he's an addict. Same thing with Joe. Yes, Joe fought, fell flat on his face uh, on a podium recently. Yes, Joe fell twice down Air Force. One steps. Yes, Joe says crazy things like you ain't black or you're a junkie or he doesn't know. He he shouts out, hey, stand up when somebody's been deceased or he sees Prince Charles, the Japanese prime minister. They have to direct him. Where am I? Show me where I walk. Or, as I said earlier, he doesn't he he calls the president of Ukraine Vladimir. Uh, So. We understand. But Victor, he's senile. He's non-compos mentes. That's why he does this. You can't you can't hold him to any standard. He can't help it. You hate old people? Are you ageist? He does his best. You're going to be 81 you're going to be 80 in 11 years. How dare you even suggest that? So they each have a crutch. You see what I'm saying? Yes, Sims?
1: I do. They're all that, the bullets of the Democratic gun. Like, yes, yeah, so, absolutely.
2: So that they and, you know, looming as well. He's not Trump. He's not Trump. He's not indicted. So they have this. But with her, nothing. So when she goes, I'm going to tell you. About artificial intelligence. <laughs> it, it has an AI, and the A stands for artificial, and intelligence is intelligent. Oh and that's what it is. It's kind of a system, and the system is kind of artificial and it's involved with intelligence, and that's why it's called AI. <laughs> Can you believe it? And so, God. and that's what she does. And they're thinking, hmm. Is she senile like Joe? No. Is she on some drug like Hunter? No. What's well, the excuse. And she has none. And oh. so the Democrats are trying to find, they tried to find out. I mean, it was first, she was a poor black girl that was this, the victim of systemic racism, but it didn't work with two PhD parents, one mother from India. So, yeah. and she never, I mean, so- I don't think there's any extenuating circumstances that she can manipulate. Mm, and that's but, why I'm saying that because that's why. Thir- did you say 13% of Democrats? Was, yeah, 13. 13 uh, okay. <laughs> she has no veneer, no shield, no covering like Joe and Hunter do. And, <laughs> you know, that. that's what's so weird about it. Joe yeah. is free. He's liberated. He can say anything <laughs> he wants. He's like... You know, I had a an uncle, I won't even describe him because people may be listening in this area and know him, but he died at 96 and he wore a big Stetson and he was a great guy and I liked him. A lot of people in my family didn't. He was my grandmother's brother, but I liked him. I thought he was, he, he, he had nothing. He created a mini fortune. He was very, you know, but he got at the end, he got, you know, a little bit senile. So he would say anything, right? Mm, and he would yeah. come in, and he'd come into the house when I had three little kids, and he'd say,
3: "Hey, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> And
2: he'd say, "Hey, you fer," you know. He just say stuff, and yeah. you know, he just was obnoxious. And you'd say, "He wasn't that way." It's just the Alzheimer's talking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, exactly. and then, and then you'd say, "Uh oh." This uh, professor's coming over because he wants me to look at his paper and he's here when X is here. Now, what do I do with him? Because he might be in the living room when the guy would come in and he'd say to him,
1: listen, you son of a
2: bitch, <laughs> you couldn't do anything. Right. So yeah. you'd say, well, look. Professor X, I know you were going to come over and talk to me about this committee we're on today after class. But I have a relative and you understand that he has he's very elderly and he may or may not say things. I would be rude for me to kick him out. And so you had a context. And then when he said things, everybody laughed. That's Joe Biden.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's Hunter with it. I haven't had an addict in my family. But if you did, a person that was addicted to a hard drug. And left all sorts of paraphernalia everywhere. He like a tra- like a snail with a long slew of, of crack pipes and, <laughs> and, and la- laptops, and I don't know what else. Gun- guns and women and strippers and illegitimate kids, unfortunately and tragically, but,
1: all sorts of slurry stuff. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's what he sl- slups off. Or maybe it's like a lizard that has an exoskeleton, and he just leaves these little you know, translucent simulacra everywhere. But anyway, she doesn't have that. And that's Mm -hmm. why they're pulling their hair out. And this is a, a wordy, windy explanation of when you said there's an article trying to explain that she has unappreciated talent and achievement that we, the American people, have not yet deciphered. But we can and we will if we have a very sophisticated left wing writer. To remind us how stupid we are in East Palestine, Ohio, they didn't get on, that we had a genius, an Einsteinian, brilliant, uh, you, know, Come on. Mar- you know, Margaret Thatcher <laughs> or somebody as vice president. We didn't know it. I didn't know it. Gee, I didn't yeah. know that. How lucky we are.
1: Yeah. Well, I I liked your description of no-go Joe. That's what I think we should call him. He's not going to be the candidate in 2024. That's that's becoming the
2: conventional convention. That's (laughs) going to be the conventional wisdom. The only question is the timing of it, because the primaries and the campaign start during his presidential tenure. Okay? Mm -hmm. So everybody is probably listening and say, hey, Victor, you didn't even get that, did you? We've been thinking of that a lot. I know, I know. I was getting to it. But what I meant was and what the listeners are thinking is, well, he's the incumbent. And as debilitated as he is, if he says he's not going to run, then he's a lame duck and he's dead in the water, right, as a one-term president. So when is he going to say he's not going to run? It, is it going to be contingent on his debility and the increasing weakness of his mind and body and he has no control over it? Or are they going to schedule it to wait till there's a primary or two and you know what I mean? So that they open it up and then, uh, I mean, think of all the conspiratorial exegesis you could come up with. Maybe he would wait to a year from now, right? Right. And what do I mean by that? Joe kind of limps and crawls through the primaries, but as the incumbent, he wins and you wait to the convention and he gets the nomination. And then guess what? He collapses. He just can't do it anymore. And you have six, you know, you have eight months left on his presidential tenure and he's the nominee. So the guys in the back room have to point what a successor. You don't have another primary or election, right? Mm, you do, that's true. You yeah, do just that's... what they do just what they did uh in nineteen seventy-two when McGovern was trying to he had Eagleton and they said, Hey, he's got it was kind of unfair to him. He wasn't a bad senator, but they said he had shock treatments in his brain in nineteen seventy-two. He thought, Oh my God, you Put electricity in a guy's brain for depression. <laughs> we can't have him as vice president. So then they couldn't find anybody to do it. So they ended up with Sergeant Shriver, You know, he would never been elected anything, but he had some, he was a Kennedy in-law. And so they just appointed him as my point. So maybe Joe can limp through and get the nomination and then say, you know, I've got a terrific headache. I've got to step down. And then they can appoint someone. The only problem with that exegesis is that then people are going to say, well, you should appoint then Kamala Harris. Whereas if you leave it open uh, and he steps down earlier before the convention or the actual nomination or the winning of the primaries, then you can at least say that it's organic selection that the voters chose. But we'll see. They have a problem and they're going to find a solution, but it's not going to be pretty.
1: Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come right back to talk a little bit about Devin Archer again. I know that you and Jack did. You're listening to The Victor Davis Hansen Show. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. We're back. I would like to remind your listeners to drink Elevate. Elevate water is a hydrogen water and it has ox- antioxidant and anti-inflammatory yeah, properties. Good- it's very tasty water. I drink it all the time. I had some workers out here and they, they, I gave them Elevate. It's a very, very hot day and they loved it. So
2: I'm I know not... and this is not a paid commercial. And I, mean, I kind of turned you on to elevate because I have two close friends. When I had long COVID, they said, you know, you might want to try this, uh, hydrogen, hydrogen. And I think they call it infused water and you have to drink it rather quickly. You can't let it sit out all day or the hydrogen dissipates, but I think it's helped me a lot. I wouldn't keep drinking it. And they're very generous. They send it to me. Uh, Michael and Adrian Weiner from Los Angeles and I much appreciate it. And that's not a paid commercial. I just I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe in it. And and then I think you are the same. Same thing about Hillsdale College. I always mention Hillsdale College and I only do that not because I teach there each year but it's kind of a walk in it's a walk back through the past but not in a reactionary narrow sense. It's It's an incorporation of everything that was good about America. You go into the bookstore, you see classes like English Lit. You look at the books that have been assigned, the reading list, and you know they're Milton, from Milton all the way to Dickens novels, or they're Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Uh, You go to the classic section. It's not race, class, gender and antiquity. It's, It's Thucydides or it's ancient history. There is no studies there. No DASH studies. There's no leisure studies, ethnic studies, environmental studies, any of that. Peace studies. There's no need for it. And so the curriculum is good. You meet the faculty and you see that these guys are some and women are some of the best people in the United States. You look at the students and they come right out of, I don't know, some textbook about what citizenship is. You don't walk your bicycles on campus. They're very polite. They're diverse. They're not just all so-called white people, but it's a natural meritocracy. And it's the way it should be and it's people are polite um when there's differences they don't shout and yell when speakers come on campus and they do on occasion that are not conservative they they extend courtesy to them and tolerance and it's just no i mean it's it's just and when you meet the faculty i mean i was in a department i think of I don't know what it was at one time, 21 students. There was one Mormon faculty member who had more. I had three children and people would call me a breeder. <laughs> but you go to Hillsdale and you see Professor X and his wife have seven children, nine children, 10 children, 14 children, because they really believe it's a wholesome, it's a wholesome place. And one of the purposes yeah. is to multiply and keep the species in America alive, meaning the American citizen. And it, it, just, it just flies in the face of all traditional academia in a good sense. And, it, you know, after, after the whole woke movement, it, it's under a period of transition. I think their biggest problem is success because they're getting thousands of applicants with perfect SAT scores, perfect GPAs uh, that would have gone to Brown or Columbia or Stanford or USC, but because of the woke repertory admissions, they didn't get in. And so these are the best qualified students, but are they the best qualified students? Because Hillsdale is looking not just for intellectual superiority and they're looking for integrity, devotion to the American project, citizenship. And so, It's very hard, you know, when you get some radical guy or radical woman who's a woke person and she wants a safe campus where she's not going to be attacked or a guy wants a place where they're not going to call him a racist, even though he created that type of atmosphere in his voting pattern or his parents. And yet, so they would like to go to Hillsdale. It's secure. It's safe. It's academically demanding. But would they in great numbers change the ideology of the campus? And so far they haven't. And they haven't because the faculty takes very seriously, as does Larry Arndt and administration, that they have a unique role. And that is to perpetuate and keep alive the foundational spirit and documents, so to speak, of the Constitution. And I it's it's uh, it's something that's very unique in America.
1: Yeah. Well, Victor, let's um, talk a little bit about Devin Archer. I know you and Jack did um, a little bit on his, but since then, the Dan Goldman, the Democratic rep from New York, has his characterization of Hunter selling the quote, illusion of access, it seems to have taken off. And I'm not sure I understand the difference between a reality of access and the illusion of access, but maybe there's some legal distinction that's helping out here. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, it was a closed session, right? So we have all of these different versions, but apparently I think enough people agree that he... What on 20 occasions said that Joe Biden was either on conference calls or talked directly with people uh, involved in Hunter's business. So immediately. Lie one is shattered. I have never discussed business. It's not there. Lie two, I've never that. Corrine, Jean-Pierre has promulgated when she altered that first lie into a second lie. Well, I mean, she didn't say it, but the subtext was, well, he may have talked about business, uh, but he didn't do business. Well, I think that's pretty clear now because the question is, why would he even talk to them? I mean, think about it, listeners. Some of you are lawyers. Some of you are doctors. Some of you have businesses. Some of you are self-employed. Do you, uh, when you're doing businesses, you you call your dad up? <laughs> <laughs> I know I was a professor at Cal State Fresno and uh, my mom was the first uh, female appellate court justice in the whole area. So when I was up for tenure and I was talking to People interviewing about my record. Do I say, just a minute, I want to put my mom on speakerphone. <laughs> <I> think
1: <Yeah. laughs> and then spend and a then, lot of time talking
2: with the whole yeah, group.
1: Yeah. About right. the
2: yeah, about the weather. Hey, mom. Uh, what do you think of the weather today? Hmm, Victor, it's it's rather hot. Uh yeah. So I'm just putting a judge on the thing. No, nobody does that. I would be a I would be ashamed to this day if I ever did that. Everybody knows they don't put their parents, whatever the station in life. You know what I mean? They don't do it. They don't do it. You're an adult. And so when this Goldman creature who's now working very hard to be the next Adam Schiff, when he came out, he said they were talking about the weather or they were small talk or They were talking about family matters, or dad was proud of his son, or he lost his son. That's another thing I get really angry about. That is one of the, what by, it's not enough that he brings up his son's dying, which was tragic, but he, he always lies about it. He tells us that he died in Iraq. He did not die in Iraq. He did not. He came home and died of a brain tumor. Now, he argues it's from a burn pit. But that's unproven. You know, if you have a a child who dies of leukemia or something, you can say this may or may not. But you can't say that caused it usually. And that's really disturbing that he does that, Joe Biden. And but my point is that. I only mention that because Mr. Goldman mentioned that and said, all oh, the Biden trauma, you know, that, that Biden and Hunter are very close given Bo's death. So they do everything in the world to obfuscate the truth. Joe Biden, they don't know how we, we're not dumb when <laughs> when you have the Burisma people sitting around a table and they're on a Zoom or uh, I guess there wasn't Zoom, then a phone call with Hunter. And he says, hey, everybody, the vice president's going to be on. He's listening in. They don't say things like, okay, Joe, here's the deal. We got to get rid of this prosecutor. He's sticking his nose, Victor's locked slogan i guess his name is so we want you to fly over here and we want you to threaten to cancel all foreign aid to the ukrainian government unless you fire then you can call him an sob got it and that's why we're paying your son 80 80 000 bucks a month much of which goes to you is it a deal is that is that what they're gonna do? No. They're just Hunter's just gonna say, uh, Daddy, the vice president, just wants to talk about the weather. He's just here. He's listening in. And that's how it works. And then Joe Biden goes over there and says, fire the SOB, or you're not gonna get any of the foreign aid. And so when this Goldman character comes out, heir to the Levi Strauss fortune, and he with a straight face says that he was just a dad talking to his son, he didn't actually miss, mention explicitly quid pro quos. Well, I know he's stupid, Biden, but he's not that stupid. Nobody <laughs> nobody in private conversation mentions the details of a quid pro quo. No. Right? Right?
1: Yes, absolutely. You're correct. <laughs>
2: You know, nobody I've had people call me up for columns and stuff, and some of them I knew, some of them are don't, but the conversation goes like this. Mr. Hansen, how'd you get my phone number? Doesn't matter how I got my phone number. Hey, I, I want to tell you something. You're you're missing the boat. We've got this EV, and this thing is so efficient. And it it just runs great. And you could write about alternate energy. And you know what? We're perfectly willing to come down to your farm and let you drive it for as long as you want. It's just <laughs> take it, take it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they don't say this. If you write 2.5 columns, we're going to sign over this electric car to you. You know what I mean? They yeah. don't say that. No. And you, and so anybody knows that in business or anything, you know, and so that that's what's so insulting in this whole facade that they, that. This practice, Devin Archer, in that testimony, getting back to your question, he hit the nail on the head. He just said. There would be nothing, no, nothing without Joe Biden, without Joe Biden being. He didn't mean Joe Biden's genius. He meant without Joe Biden occupying the office of vice presidency from 2009 to 2017, and without the idea that after a vice president leaves office, he often, as Mike Pence is doing, runs for president so that he has some capital left to do, quote, quid pro quos, without that nothing. He would Hunter would have no money today. Everybody knows that, and everybody. Then the question, the only question, there's just two questions, and this is what James Comer and Jim Jordan and all the rest of them have to get straight before they impeach anybody. They have to prove two things because they're not Democrats. They can't impeach him for a phone call or any of that uh, because of the media and everything and More on that in just a second. They have to prove that they received money. And there's two ways of doing that. They need bank records to see if when this oligarch said it would take 10 years to find out all the paywalls and all of the subterfuge where they hid money in fake dummy companies, then they'd have to accelerate that process. And they've got to find if any of the Bidens have foreign bank accounts or if they took money out of a bank account. And they can do that either by following the money or they can get an IRS audit. And so we want to know what they reported in this eight year period and what they spent and a reasonable estimate that a forensic account could make. You can do that. Yes. That's that's the first thing they have to do. Uh, so they have to follow the money. The second thing they have to do. They have to see if there's any reliable corroborated evidence that anybody uh, said in writing or was a firsthand witness to a quid pro quo, by that I mean, or there was an intervention of a federal official to stop an investigation. So, What do I mean by this is a different type of this is an eyewitness, not data from a bank. That would mean get a full transcript of everything Tony Bolinski said, get a transcript of everything Archer said in uh, non-public testimony, get everything that the whistleblower said and all the documents surrounding that, get everything the oligarch said on the other end of it collate it all? And does it say that they all agree on one thing, that Joe Biden was getting money, as Mr. 10%, and they expected that he would be doing services to the Ukrainians? And put the two together, and then you have a case. Or do you have a case? Because remember, impeachment requires just a majority vote of the House. And we have never, ever convicted a president in a court in the Senate, and because you have to have a, a, a two-thirds majority, and that's mm-hmm. very hard for one party to do. So impeachment is a symbolic. Andrew Johnson got the closest; that he he escaped the Senate conviction by one vote. But Bill Clinton didn't. It wasn't even close in the Senate. It wasn't even close on two occasions. Even with Donald Trump. It would not even be close with Joe Biden. So impeachment then is a political act. It is a sign that a president has lost the confidence of the House of Representatives, maybe the people. But it can either be a bad or a good political act, and they have to decide whether it's worth it. And so it's a political act, and they have to decide that they have to take polls, and they have to. I'll be frank with you. They. I think in the case of Donald Trump, when they impeached him, it helped them. I know that it was unfair. It was a travesty, but they used that to raise money and it helped them in the 2020 election. When the Republicans uh impeached uh, Bill Clinton, it hurt them. They got killed in the next midterm. So they got to decide whether impeaching Joe Biden would help them in the 2024. Right now, I I'm a little worried that it would not. But I think if they get, as I said, documents on the banking financial side, tax side, A, and then affidavits, evidence, hard evidence on the other side that there are witnesses to quid pro quo and witnesses to exemplary uh, amnesties or squashed investigations on the part of the FBI or the DOJ, And maybe you'd have to get Mr. Ray and Garland back in to testify. Then I think you then the politics might change. But it's a it's a political act.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So Kevin McCarthy has a Kevin's um, very serious decision ahead of him.
2: Yeah, he does because he's got the Freedom Caucus. He's every they're they're you know they're like a bulldog and they're they're biting. When are you going to impeach the sob? And then he's got. The rhino and the moderate guy saying, wait, 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 Kevin, I'm in a purple district. I don't want to run on the idea that we did to Joe Biden what they did to Donald Trump. They're going to call me a hypocrite. I objected to a political impeachment. Now they're going to say, oh, you impeach Biden. Where's your principle? So just hold off. So how does he square that circle? He did it pretty well. He said, we're going to this is not an impeachment. This is an impeachment inquiry. We're just inquiring if there are grounds for impeachment. I think he's going to run Mm -hmm. out the clock. I'm probably not going to impeach him unless there's a big, as the left says, walls are closing in dash bombshell revelation.
1: Yeah. And he'll expose a lot of things about the Biden syndicate as well. which I think
2: that's (laughs) now that you brought it up, I wasn't going to say that, but. (laughs) <laughs> if you were going to have a Lee Outwater, whom I thought was a genius that saved George H.W. Bush in 1988 when he took Michael Dukakis 17 point lead and with the Willie Horton ad and the Boston Harbor ad and the tank ad, he reduced him to an incompetent liberal governor of a not a very successful state and Bush won. And then when he died of a brain tumor and and he wasn't around in 92, Bush lost. And ever since then, everybody said, we never want to, we're never going to campaign like Lee Atwater. We want to lose nobly. We would never win dirty like that. Well, it wasn't dirty. It was just hard like the left does. But yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what, The other strategy is you bleed Biden to death with a thousand cuts. So you don't really impeach him. You just run these investigations. And every couple of weeks, there's a bombshell revelation. And then you drive down his polls. And right now, about 65 percent of the American people of both parties feel that he has lied and that he's guilty of a quid pro quo Payoff. It's pretty damning. You look at the polls and that will go up and up and up. The more of these people testify. It's like Dr. Fauci, America's icon. Well, yeah. The more we learn each day he's hemorrhages and wait till Rand Paul gets his criminal referral. I mean, he Rand Paul was all over wanting to have a criminal referral. If he hasn't already filed it, but Anthony Fauci, and it's pretty clear that he did. He lied under oath when he said he could guarantee you that. This was not gain of function that the Americans were subsidizing in Wuhan.
1: Yeah. And
2: when he said it, there were scientists who said, whoops, you shouldn't have said that, Anthony.
1: But it seems to me that you've got all guns out on a guy that's probably not going to run anyway. So I guess you're trying to do damage to the Democratic Party broadly by this or... You know, because everything's the Biden investigation as far as.
2: Uh, It's not just that we're not that cynical. It's we're trying to save the country. So the fact that these Republicans, for all of their mishaps and incompetence, got the the House, they stopped the Biden left wing agenda, 80 percent of it. If they had not, they would have had more of the Anti-Inflation Act and uh, Build Back Better and all these creepy things that Mitch McConnell agreed to. Uh, but they didn't do it. They stopped it and there would be no investigations right now. You would have Adam Schiff, instead of being censored, he would be the chairman of the select committee on intelligence in the house. And there was, there would be no oversight. There would be all of these crazy committees investigated in Donald Trump right now, like the January yeah. sixth. they would, you know, Lynn Cheney's uh, successor would be on, you know, blabbing out to the media every day that Donald Trump is guilty of overvaluing his assets in New York or something. But they took the house. And so that was a really good thing. So that's what we're talking about. And they took the house because people were sick of the Biden corruption, the border, the crime. And so when you can show these people each day that a Fauci lied to the American people. Or you can show that Joe Biden pretty much lied on two occasions, three occasions. He didn't uh, three instances or three modalities. He knew about his, his son's business. He was involved in his son's business and he profited from his son's business. If you can get that narrative out. That's going to be devastating. And then the yeah. people are going to say, you know what? I don't blame him for not impeaching him. The guy's senile. He's going to finish his term. Don't put us through that. But we agree with you. He's guilty as hell. And we're mad at the people who put him in and protected him. And then it becomes a completely different story that all these people like Goldman, they're going out there and saying, oh, he's perfectly innocent. He was just talking about the weather. Uh, it was just Biden. Everybody has his dad loves his son and gets on and then people in that party would say, Why don't you shut the F up? I'm running in a purple district. I'm not running from some left wing district that you are, and I'm not a billionaire like you are. I've got to run. And when you start lying about this crook that we had as president, I'm running on, well, I don't know the facts or I don't know the details, but Joe Biden had his day and now he's stepped down, and that's for the good, Now I'm moving on. That's what they want to say.
1: Yeah. Well, Victor, this is the end of the, the podcast, and so we've got to go, but I, it was exceptionally enlightening. I think what your listeners appreciate and I appreciate is not that is that you don't just point out the problem, which of course you do, but you have given us a lot of solutions today. So thank you very much on that. Thank you. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off.
2: Thank you, everybody.